Happy Sunday, Marie. Happy Sunday, Diane. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you doing? I am doing fabulous today. Oh, that's a good thing. Yes, fabulous and wonderful. How good can we be? Yes. That's right. It's time to drop some knowledge. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So this week we're talking about entrepreneurship or starting businesses or business ideas. So what's your word on that? What knowledge you got to drop on the folks about starting business or entrepreneurship or what business you've started? I, I thought about um, the topic of ideas because of what you said that was uh, my brother Paul's favorite song with Patti LaBelle, uh, When You've Been Blessed, it's like having pass it on. Wow. So I thought about, you know, you and I, when we've talked over the years, it doesn't matter how long it's been. It could have been a month, six months, a <laughs> year. But the thing I knew is that when I talked to you, you would have a new idea that you were <laughs> And you probably knew that about me too, that I would have a new idea. We're laughing because we know that's who we are. We're idea generators. We generate ideas. And these ideas could be business business ideas, ideas for a book or a blog or anything, right? But that's just what we do, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you've had the chance this, you know, since this morning's text to, to list all of the ideas that you've had, but I did, and I came up with about 26. So 26. I know you're laughing, and people don't understand. I understand that. So did you come up with your list? I didn't because I said I don't want to seem ADHD, until, you know, all over the place. But one thing I know about myself, which is okay with it, is that that's who I am. Like you said, that's who we mm -hmm. are. And mm -hmm. so, um, and also it's a gift because a lot of people don't have any ideas, you know, that, you know, they say, how did you come up with that? And I was like, that's who I am. So that's who I am. So you can just say, talk to me about anything. And I can tell you about a business idea, how you can turn it into a business. So I probably have 36. If you had 26, I had 36. <laughs> and, and you know what, Diane, you're right. Because when I came up with the list, is a couple of things I recognize is that it happened in decades. I could go back to decades, mm -hmm. like to the 1980s, right? So if I can go back decades, so can you. But you got a decade on me, right? right. So I can go back decades. I didn't even list those things that people came to me with and I helped them with their idea. I didn't list those. These are, you know, I didn't list those, a whole nother list. So you're right. Not a lot of people can come up with ideas. So it is a gift. Part of passing it on is that some of these ideas that we have is maybe not for us to do. It's maybe for somebody else to do who's going to listen to this podcast and take it and run with it and do it. Uh, so that's why I wanted to kind of just get the ideas out there. So, yep, I came up with about 26. I put them in decades going back to the 1980s and then I even categorized them. A lot of my ideas were really big ideas, but it's time had not come yet. It was way before it's time. But these that some of these ideas I had, and so I didn't do them because it was way before its time. Uh, some of them I did, and some of them are still to be done, right? So, and I know you can probably put yours in those time kind of categories too. Uh, but do you have anything to say about category of ideas? Well, what I have to say is uh, going back and talking about decades. I was thinking about uh, ideas and entrepreneurship when you when we first came when you sent me the text. 
And what I thought about was when I was a little kid, like I could read. So between five and eight, I might have got a magazine or a newspaper and looked at it. And they said, if you send this, I think it was six dollars or you I don't know if you would send this uh, remittance thing in and they would send you seeds to sell. So I, it was flower seeds and vegetable seeds. So I sent it off. And so I was going to start um, the seed company. And I think I started it. And my mother said, when are you going to pay those people their $6? And I said, when I sell these seeds. So I think that it's entrepreneurship and business might have been somewhere in our family tree for women. And so it's not something that just happened to us. It might have been a part of our DNA, our family DNA. And then when I was about, I think, third or fourth grade, one of my friends and I and my brother decided to have a, start a club called the Cold Club. And one of our first fundraisers or venture capitalists for our, a Cold Club, we started a circus in the backyard. And we didn't really have a real circus, but we had a play circus. And I think they dressed me up as the fat lady, just put a whole bunch of clothes on. Then my brother might have been the strong man. And then my girlfriend, she might have been the ringmaster. So we invited kids. We got like one or two kids to come and we charged them, I think, like 25 cents to come to our circus. And so I think it was my idea to that as a fundraiser. So I think that, like I said, it's a gift or something in your DNA that makes you an entrepreneur, that makes you think of ideas and bring them to fruition. And so um, so that's my first decade, like. Uh, from five years old to 10 years old, I was trying to start a business with the kids in the neighborhood. Okay. Um, You know, I can't go back that far. I kind of start when I'm in my twenties. That's where I really start in my twenties, where I really started thinking where things that I think of that could potentially become businesses. Um, And then this this goes kind of back into the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And the, the first one for me was a company that I created. When I say created, I went all the way to business plan, uh, business plan, business card, and business license. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. And that was called automotive repair results. So think about this. This is in the 1980s, now early 80s. And what was happening to me in that time frame is I had older cars that I was trying to keep on the road. And I always remember thinking, okay, this is really crazy where the car would break down. Let's say I needed brakes or whatever. And I would take it somewhere and I never could trust the people I was taking it to that they were telling me the right thing or being honest with me. And I thought, well, what if there was a place where I could have this card and I could take the card in. And the first thing I would do is take the card in. I'm in a club, take the card in and they would diagnose it for me. They wouldn't fix it, just diagnose it for me. And I know that that I would pay for that diagnostic. And then after that, in this club that I'm going to create, I would have a break shop and an alignment shop. And I even went to companies and I had a little checklist of the things that I would want an honest break shop to, uh, you know, have honest, have good technicians and had a little checklist. But it was before its time. You know why? Because there was there was AAA, but AAA was just towing cars then. Now, what does AAA do? Exactly what Automotive Repair Results was going to do before its time, right? Wow. Well, you know what, Marie? Since you said that, I forgot about this. I forgot the name of the business, but I thought of this business 
Because I was having, I lived in a, a condo complex when I first started, like a, um, you didn't, I didn't have a garage to the house. It was like a three-story condo. And they didn't want you, I think a part of the uh, owner's uh, community group, whatever they call it, uh, the group, uh, condo people did not want you working in your cars in the yard, in the front parking lot. And so I thought of a place kind of like that where you go, you rent garage space and everything would be mm -hmm. there for you to go and fix your own car, someone else to do the oil change or change the tires or rotate the tires. Uh, so I thought about that in the 80s too, but I can't think of the name of that business, but I think I actually wrote it up where people right. could rent their own space. And then, you know what that reminds me of? One of your other businesses that it wasn't time yet, but I think they might have it in Japan where you go and rent space to take a nap at work. Oh my God, Diane, the bunker. It was called, let's talk about the bunker because the bunker was really my biggest idea. And you know how I came up with the bunker? Oh man, there's a long story, but I'm going to try to shorten it so we can talk about all these other ideas we've had. Is okay. The bunker was back in the 2000s. The bunker was when I was working at Siemens and super like stressed, depressed, knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. And what I would do is at lunchtime, I would take my car and park it. I wouldn't even eat. I would just park and take a nap. It's like, I can't deal with the whole day, but I can break it up, <laughs> right? So I would break it up by going in my car, rolling up the windows, locking the doors, take a 20-minute nap, completely refresh, go back. I can deal with the next four hours. And I thought, wow, it would be great if I could have – I would pay to have a place to go at lunchtime to just take a comfortable nap, for 20 minutes and not worry about someone knocking on the door or robbing me, right? Mm -hmm. So at that time, uh, in in Newport News, and people that live here wouldn't even know this, but it was, because now this street is called Cannon Boulevard, but it used to be called Bunker Boulevard. Mm -hmm. And it was actually World War II, it was buildings, but underneath the buildings were World War II bunkers. And one of my first jobs I had when I was a bookkeeper, I worked in one of those buildings and we had a bunker underneath. So it was it was soundproof. And I knew that these buildings had these bunkers. So I created the whole business plan. I was going to quit my job at Siemens. I was going to take my 401k. I was going to start a power nap company. Now, this was, you know how I know it was way before it's time? Mm -hmm. Because as I'm getting ready to, I found the location. They were We were going to retrofit the building. It was going to be 10 rooms. I had, you know, the cots I were going to use, I was going to use these cots. I was it's just crazy. But I had, you know, one or two assistants to change out the rooms, alarm clocks to wake people up. Okay. I go down to the, I'm ready to start, go down to the city of Newport News zoning. Mm -hmm. And I tell them what I'm going to do. And I show them the plan. I don't need the money. I've got the money. I'm good. I just need you to zone this space for me. You know what they say? What? They say they've researched everything. Let me research it. They researched everything. And it was like, well, we have never heard of anything like this. We always start in California to see if they're doing it in California. So we know how to zone it. We can't zone it as a, a hotel because you're not telling me that they don't stay long enough for a hotel. So they could not zone it. Okay. And it was like, I just kind of thought I just put it. I, I never really stopped with thinking I was going to open the bunker. And then I'll never forget, I had a lot of friends traveling a lot. I had one friend traveling uh, internationally, and I'll never forget him calling me and, and saying, Maria, your idea is happening. It's happening in Japan. Mm 
Mm-hmm. It's happening. <laughs> yeah, the bunker. <laughs> Big idea before it's time. Yes. Well, I thought the bunker was a great idea. Uh, one of my best ideas I had, but one thing I've learned as I've gotten older, uh, dealing with all of my million business ideas is in my head. And now what I, what I do, I actually got a software app. I forgot the name of it, but it helps you write your business plan. Uh, but what I do now is how can I monetize it? You know, how can I make money from it? Uh, I think the lady from um, Own Network who has a restaurant, she said, if it don't make money, it doesn't make sense. So I tried now, whenever I think of a business idea, which I didn't think of before, I just had ideas. I didn't think about the money part, but now I think about the money. But one of my best ideas I had, I was working at a HBCU and, um, and uh, hip hop was really big. Then uh, Tupac had just died a few years before and Biggie had died and which I'm a little bit before the hip hop generation. I remember it, but I was in my twenties or early thirties when hip hop really took off. And I didn't understand why people, the young folks were so upset about um, Tupac and Biggie dying. So what I did is what we do, Marie, we go research it. So mm-hmm. I started, so I started research, researching everything from the literature, uh, you know, from the academic literature down to source magazine on what hip hop is and what does it mean. And I came up from the literature. I came up with the hip hop, for the university, I want to give them the Center of Hip Hop Studies because uh, Harvard had a, a hip hop kind of curriculum and a, I think they have a Center for Hip Hop Studies now too, I'm not sure. But I was going to bring it to an HBCU where the Center for Hip Hop Studies would look at the literature and what people are saying about hip hop, especially from the business point of view. And the Hip Hop Institute would be an institute where the, um, where the people who are working in hip hop would actually come and teach entrepreneurship to the students uh, in the summer programs or through uh, lectures in the School of Business. And so the reason I came up with it, because from the research, I don't know what the industry is now, but it was like a trillion dollar industry globally for hip hop, the music, the clothes, um, you know, magazine, literature, um, all kinds of way hip hop was making money. And hip hop was infused. They said every movie that comes out, Every game that comes out has a hip hop song in it. Just listen for it. And so hip hop and then some of the literature was saying that hip hop, um, there's a research firm. They listen to the music to see what uh, brand products they mention, Uh, like when the Expedition, which is a big uh, SUV by Ford, I think it's Ford, came out. It was sold basically to the country club demographics people who went to country clubs could afford a, a huge suv but the rappers started singing about uh popping and uh, driving this whip called the su uh called the expedition and so uh, the company that made the expedition changed their demographics from the country club to that hip-hop uh, generation and i think their sales triple so i was trying so i started the so i brought it to the university of course they hated the idea <laughs> it was before it's time it was before his time. And the one lady said, Don, I hate that music. Our vice president said, I hate that music. I said, well, uh, Sean Combs gave Howard, I think, like at the time, like 
$200,000 or something. I was in fundraising. So I was telling her that it would be a good way to get the students to be lifelong givers if you started this institute and bring a lot of people on campus. But also it would bring uh, attention to the university because uh, we have brought so many, so much of American music to this country. Like we brought in jazz, we brought in blues, we brought in R&B, but we don't really have institutes to celebrate our music. But, you know, the major universities do. So I said, this would be a good way to open that door. <laughs> Not a good idea. She just think. <laughs> but but I, so I started the Hip Hop Institute myself. And I wanted to kind of start it with like 10 kids just to see how it would be. So I took it to, I actually left the suburbs and actually bought, got an apartment in the city, Baltimore City, just to be around uh, urban youth. And I had... I, you know, everybody didn't pay, but I still let them come. I had probably 50 kids to come every day and maybe 20 parents because their parents were also in that hip hop. So now that I look back that, um, like you said, before your time, um, it, but I still believe that um, the Hip Hop Institute and the Center of Hip Hop Studies should be on every uh, college campus because that's the, that's. We need to uh, research our own, but we also need to teach, teach kids how to turn uh, their their hip hop ideas into businesses. Not just everybody can't be a recording artist, recording artist, but there are people who are need to do event planning for them, public relations, make sure when they come to a city who's doing the uh, PR for them, who's getting the radio them on the radio stations, who's getting doing ads in the newspaper who cuts their hair, who are their drivers, who are the people who manage their a fleet of cars or who does all their um, getting them ready to go to the city to do all the event planning. So um, uh, that's one of my ideas. I still like that idea. It didn't go anywhere, but, um, but, but I still would like to find out the kids who came to the Hip Hop Institute in Baltimore if that influenced any of their lives because it's like a three-week program we had there. I, I didn't keep up with the children. They're probably young adults now, yes. But it's something too, Diane, just because we're putting it out here on the podcast, even if one person hears it and says, oh, let me look at that, mm-hmm. go forward, we can pass it on. That's what I see with that, okay. with a lot of these ideas. Um, one of the things you said, and, I, and then I want to talk about some another an idea like the Hip Hop Institute, still with Hip Hop, but one of the things you said I wanted to just kind of put out there is that one of the things I've learned about myself, remember I talked in one of these podcasts about I'm not a salesperson, right? I didn't like when I sold real estate. I didn't like that. I didn't like, I don't, I didn't really like selling in the gift shop, didn't like selling art shows, just if you want it, get it. And the reason why I figured this out, why I'm not, is because I really, I have a issue with capitalism. You know, mm. I do. I have an issue with capitalism uh, and I'm more about conscious capitalism than just, you know, dog eat dog, you know, sell and make a lot of money. It's just not me. And I know that about myself. So it has to be bringing something good into the world in order for me to say, uh, if the money comes great, that, and that's just how I am. Okay. I figured that out about myself in all these years. Uh, but when you were talking about the hip hop Institute, I thought about an idea I had, this was probably back in the 1990s when David was a teenager and what was happening is that at that time I had I had a lot of money. I had a lot of disposable income. So he had a lot of clothes, a lot of shoes. And what he would do with his friends is they would switch clothes and things, you know, so they would wear each other's clothes. And it kind of was like, 
you know, hey, wouldn't it be a great idea if there was like a hip hop consignment store, you know, where the kids that had the Timberlands and then you didn't wear them anymore, you could consign them to to other kids maybe that didn't have their parents didn't have enough money to buy them outright. I still don't even know if that exists, but it could. I love that idea. I, 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 one time I was watching um, Netflix and this guy has a, um, it's kind of like a thrift store, pawn shop. And what he does, he goes to, people can come in and bring hip hop stuff like from the 90s, like classic hip hop, like the, with the teddy bear or Ralph Lauren with the teddy, the first teddy bear. Mm-hmm. Or they can buy, you know, all, you know, uh, cl- cross colors. They can bring like, stuff from the 90s or even back to the 80s to his store and he would buy it from you teddy ruxman was no teddy something yeah and so he would buy this guy has like a store i think in vegas or somewhere no new mexico somewhere that you know in the west and you can come into his store bring vintage hip-hop stuff and he would pay you for it like a pawn shop but then he would put it in his store then he put it online and so i said oh so what when he so it's I don't think it's anything like that out there, Marie, this um, hip hop swapping or hip hop um, consignment or, you know, kids can go in and find. I think that would be a great thing to do. Uh, maybe somebody's listening. They can bring that to fruition because and- uh, especially with the shoes and the shirt, because kids like wear them like one or two times and, you know, and just throw them in that closet or put them in a bag and, and want something else because that's, kind of disposable culture that we have created in this country that uh, I was talking to a friend of mine just getting off the subject a little bit about what it was to get a pair of shoes when we were kids like you know I should say I'm 10 years uh, older than you and so like in the 60s and 70s when getting a pair of shoes was a big deal you went downtown the shoes you had on were like broke down you know they were old they're almost too small to hurt your foot a little bit and your mother said, you're getting a pair, new pair of shoes. You went downtown. They took out the, the gadget and measured your foot. And then you picked out some shoes. And then they put them on your foot. And then you, like, you know, you walked around. Your mother squeezed your toe. Your father squeezed your toe. Can I feel your yeah. toe? <laughs> and, then they, and then you walked home. With the, they let you wear the new shoes and the old shoes in the box. And the whole time walking around, you're just looking at your feet. So now kids get so many shoes, like getting a pair of shoes was a big deal. But getting a pair of shoes now is they probably get a new pair of shoes every time they get paid or somebody give them a present. So they got plenty of shoes. We only had maybe three pairs of shoes. They have 20s and 30s pairs of shoes. So I think that we assume that all kids have that experience. Some kids might have my experience. When I was a kid, you got one pair of shoes per season. And so now we can switch out shoes for kids. I think that's an excellent idea. And clothes. And, and I had a name for it. It would be called the hookup. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. Did we see that? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Take it and run with it, somebody. <laughs> I like I like I hook up. Since, you know, we have the iPhone and the iPad, I hook up. So... <laughs> Since we're since we're self centered and talking about capitalism, I think that um, I don't I didn't, I never thought about having a problem with capitalism. Maybe that's why I never try to monetize my business and try to get rich. I was more interested in the idea of uh, coming to fruition more than how much money I'm going to make. But when you pitch a business, I also been to pitching classes. Uh, 
when you pitch a business, you have to all you have to know how much money you can bring to the person or persons or group that's investing in you. And I was not ever really interested until recently when I started going to the pitching classes about monetizing everything. And I think that comes back coming from a communal type of thing that things work out that I'm not really in it just for the money. I'm in it for the good of the nation or the good of the people or the good of just good of ideas. But, and, I, and I think that's what we are, Diane. I think that we are idea generators. So we're those people that if we could get paid for our ideas, we'd be rich. Wow. Yes. That's where, that's where our, our, you know, where the benefit is and in, in, in the fact that a lot, a lot of people can't come up with these type of ideas. Well, yeah, I know. Uh, I, I, I work as a consultant sometimes for HBCUs and my, my last couple of assignments was to, um, was to recruit students to STEM students, kids who do work, pursuing degrees in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. And in the past, this organization, they might have got probably five to 10 kids to present their research, but I get over 50. I've gotten over 100 for them. And so they said, don't, you know, you said you didn't like sales, but I've spent most of my uh, uh, adult Korean sales. And they said, Diane, how did you get so many students? And I said, well, first of all, I go down to the chairs of the department. So uh, probably a lot of science STEM people want their students to present their research because they probably work with them. But and so also I go more than one time and ask them, you know, and and it's an email, so it's not like it's intrusive, not calling them on the phone. And so most people, believe it or not, still read their emails. And so in sales, we are taught that uh, it takes seven touches to get people's attention. With all the noise on the Internet and social media now, it might take eight to ten touches. So eight to ten, um, you know, voice emails. And so for me, it's a game. So if I'm up to five, I'm getting close, you know, and so. I think when you've been in sales or marketing, it's it's a game. It's also exciting that, okay, this next one might be the one. <laughs> and, right. and so most people don't like that because that's, that's five rejections. And I'm telling you, as a salesperson, you never really still get used to rejection. But we don't think of it as re- rejection. It's almost like if you play tennis or you play golf or anything, you have to hit a ball. You think the next shot is going to be the shot, you know, or the next free throw, you're going to get this one. And so that's all it is. It's just, um, it's a way of conditioning your mind. Not to, no one, I think, healthy likes rejection. But And, and, I, and I, I think for me, when I think about what you just said, I hate to cut you yes. off. What were we going to say? Go on, keep just going. keep going. You can... uh, that I, I think about what you said is that um, you know, seven touches, eight touches in order to sell something. I think the only thing that I'm willing to put that much effort into is myself. And I, you know, we talked about how many jobs we've each had, but you know, I always looked at finding the next job as the numbers game. Just put your resume out there, put it out there, job after job after job. No matter what the title is, you can you can pigeonhole your experience into that job. So, yeah, it's a numbers game. I saw, you know, getting the next job is a numbers game. You know, the more resumes I put out there, the more chances I would have to get a job. That's the tr- right. So I do that's understand the that. Truth. I was talk- one, of my, um, 
one of um, a friend of mine that we worked together years ago, she emailed me a text me says this young man just finished his degree interior interior design at Georgia Southern or Georgia State or somewhere. And so she asked him to reach out to me. So I asked him to send the resume. And I was sending it to my network. She said, now you know everybody. I said, right. But I said, send it to me. So I said, he sent the resume. And I, and, I, and I said, let me look at the resume. And he had kind of, you know, he just finished college. He worked, he had stuff like Pizza Hut and all this stuff. And I was thinking, so you want to be a junior um, uh, interior designer, but why would you have Pizza Hut on here? I said, I, so I sent him a resume of what a designer's resume would look like. And I said, also, mm-hmm. um, you know, we talked and he changed it. And I said, don't put that Pizza Hut stuff up there. Just put some cl- your classes you take, the software you know, uh, some of your class projects, because that's really an assignment and people can see some of your and, you, and then also get a website because your designers should be able to knock a website out and your portfolio, a link to it. And so he redid it, which was 150% better. But I was telling him, like you just said, and this is, goes back to if you have a business too, I said, every day you send out 10 resumes. And so at the end of the month, that's what, 300 resumes? <laughs> and and right. so that's, so at the end of the year, so you should get at least one interview a week or a month, you know, and so you should land a job before the year is over because, you know, the, the market is different now with the, with COVID because people who really needs um, an interior designer when people I read in the newspaper that Lord is closing five of their or three of their offices because they rather for people to work home. You know how much money they save in toilet paper, electricity, and internet by having these folks work from home. But I was telling him, just think though, if you became specific, and the same thing with starting business, and that's how you and I can come up with ideas. If you became specific and said, I want to be a designer for school libraries. It's a feeling you get when you walk into a school library or a municipal library. Oh, I want to be a designer for the cafeterias. And there's plenty of schools. And so now you can, you know, you can focus. And then after a while, you become an expert in designing students, you know, children's libraries. And I told him that that's what you need to think about, um, you know, and that's what when you talk about how we come up with so many ideas, both of us are, are, are I used to be, I'm not much there. We are readers. You know, you even work with the libraries when you are a friend of the library in your community. And so when you're a reader, you expand the way you think. And if you read different and diverse stuff, um, it even opens your eyes and mind to so many other things. And that's why we, to me, we can come up with ideas. It's a gift, but also we feed the gift. And so let me let me let me say something about that. Just remember when I was telling you that I was, you know, setting up for a pop-up book book sale at the library, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So, you know, doing all the legwork, helping everybody doing, you know, pop-up book sale, putting the uh, fiction, nonfiction, and people were coming to the table looking at the books. And we had one table called the special table. The special table, all the special books, the books that we're not going to charge a dollar for for hardbacks and 25 cents for softbacks or children's books. They might be five dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, and I'm sure people are out there probably know about this, but you if you don't, then you probably should. Is that so I go over to the special table and I just see this one book at the special table and it's about uh, Masonic uh 
philosophy, symbolism. It's a big book, right? And I open it up and it is like pristine condition. It's got a lot of the quote unquote secrets in it, right? You can tell that. And so I look at it and I just say, oh, I'm going to let it sit there. I'm going to, I'm, I'm leaving at about three. If nobody buys it, I'll get it for $5, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So I do. I buy that and some other book about uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. Buy those two books. So you know what I do when I come home? I come home and I look up this book. Mm-hmm. I bought for $5. You know how much this book go online for if I wanted to sell it? Guess. Uh, $50. Guess again. Twenty-five dollars. Higher. One fifty. Eight hundred. <laughs> wow. So, if someone wants a business idea, you know, you want to go to those kind of sales, and you want to find, you know, if you have an eye for it, you know, you can get an app for it too. But you know, you might not want to go out doing that. But if you have an eye for it, you could buy a five-dollar book that's worth eight hundred dollars and sell it on your Amazon seller account. Now, I won't do this for this book because this really is a book that's worth about $800 worth of information, right? So that's an idea for somebody. And that's what I'm telling you, that that's being a reader, being a reader, and also just being a exposure. When, when I was in grad school, I would um, leave home some days and and I would come back in the house. I may leave home at 10, may come back home at 10 at night. And my mother said, where have you been? And I said, at the library. And she said, what were you doing at the library? I said, I was just reading books and periodicals and, and journals. And she said, for what? And I said, that's what I do. I go to the library once a month and I might read the Futurist magazine or the Journal of Psychology. I just read kind of widely. And I'm not reading in depth. Some of I might just be reading like the abstract. Or I might just be reading ads that what people are advertising. Or I might find an article that's interested, interesting and read the whole article. But when you do that, that's what, you know, I tell young people, when you do that, you can get ideas for businesses. Like, you know about books. That book, most people don't realize that a book can cost more than a tennis shoe. <laughs> right. Because of the value of the information that's in there that you may never find again. Exactly. And so most people don't know that the library is full of free information um, that mm-hmm. you can just read. You can just go in the periodical session and not just read books, I mean, magazines on what you like, but read something that you don't even know anything about. Just pick it up and, and just thumb through it. Even the advertisement. Um, when I was doing the Hip Hop Institute, I was introduced to Source Magazine, in which uh, it started, Source Magazine, which is a uh, hip-hop-centered magazine, it started, I think, two students at Harvard, and they started a newsletter, and then they started charging people to put, like, ads in their newsletter, you know, if you had a little DJ business, or you had a student, you could help people, and you get your little homemade studio in the dorm, they would, you know, put that little ad in there, but now, I don't know, well, not now, but when I was researching, when it when, it, when I was researching about it, I think in the early 2000s, a full-page ad in Source magazine, one-page ad, full-page, cost $40,000. So, so they went from a newsletter on campus to a full-fledged magazine that everyone, probably anyone in hip-hop wants to get into. 
that magazine uh, now. But they didn't, you know, one thing I told, I should tell the students who were at the Hip Hop Institute, you can start small and just grow. You don't know what it's going to morph into. Uh, organically, it will go if you stick to it. But, you know, and right. so that's another thing. You, you don't have to always start um, huge. You know, you don't even know what it's going to go to, but just get started. And, and, I, tell, and I told the young man who is, is the designer who just got a degree in design that one of the things I want you to do is send out those 10 resumes a day, you know, instead of getting on Netflix. And I sent him a list of uh, companies that who need designers or who hire designers like architectural firms and those types of things. But also I told him at 20, less than 25, I got old who he is, but he's less than 25 that, um, if you started researching now how to become a contractor for your state, as a, because uh, every uh, school, every government agency, they also hire interior designers, because when you walk into the lobby in a federal building, there's pictures on the wall. There is way that the the um the furniture is is situated in the lobby. Every municipality hires and and contracts out to. Uh, designers, uh, interior designers. So if you start now, you know, while you're living at your parents and your overhead is low and get all your businesses licenses and every insurance, pay for all that stuff, get your business out there. 10 years from now, you won't have to search for contracts. Major companies will use you as a subcontractor being a, a minority business enterprise. And so now you, you, you start a building portfolio and building up your company now and getting out to events. It can be a game changer 10 years from now and 20 years from now, when you're 42, you might be able to not be working and just have people working for you. But, um, so I've told him to start thinking like that too. That's great, great advice. Um, I want to, I want to look at the other side of the coin of, you know, you have an idea, just get started and get started mm-hmm. small. I want to look at the other side of the coin. The other side of that coin is you need to realize that if that idea is something you need to start or not, mm-hmm. it may not be. You know, it may be for someone else to do. And I say that because because of someone who's had so many ideas, sometimes I've gone down the road and I realize I shouldn't have gone down the road. It wasn't for me to do. I wasn't passionate enough about it or I didn't have enough knowledge about it, you know, for me to go take it all the way to fruition. Okay. For example, where it may be a good idea, but not for me to do. One idea that I had was for not for me to do was, but someone needs to do it. <laughs> it's uh, uh, for when you are teaching your children to drive. I'll never forget wanting to be able to rent a fender bender. Right. It's like, why can't I go out? I don't want him to drive my <laughs> new nice car and, it, you know, while he's learning to drive. But if I could rent a fender bender from a company and, you know, it might get banged up a little bit as we're learning how to drive, but there was no one out there to do that. But that wasn't for me to do because I don't know anything about car rental business. So I'm just saying that sometimes it's even though you have the idea, it's not for you to start and get and do, but maybe for you to uh, work with someone else who can do it. And who has more experience in doing it? I, I was just thinking about what you said. I have a lot of ideas, and maybe I should have done it and spent my money. Uh, it's not only mm-hmm. done it, spend my money to. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> we were hyped about it at the time. And right? I was thinking maybe it's kind of our drug, you know, our drug of choice is a new business idea, you know, like <laughs> get all excited. But uh, my, my latest one, I actually done something with it, but I haven't, I did something about it, but I haven't followed through on it in my latest one. I like the fact that, but then I was thinking maybe I should have waited. I think I even emailed you my business plan. It's, um, it's uh, that 80% of teach, uh, uh, twenty only 20% of teachers are black, but they said that if a black student have a, a black teacher between zero and fourth grade, I think it's a 70% they go to college. And so I wanted to start, a, I actually set it up, but I haven't done anything with it. I actually got the website up, but it's not totally up. Um, that, got it. I got plenty <laughs> of those, Diane. <laughs> but so I want, I set up a website where you could go where a black teacher would teach a black student um, and or students. And so just for the increasing their odds of going to college and getting higher education. But so those are the types of things that what I what I hear from you is the African proverbs. If you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go far, go with others. Right. Some of these things we need to pass on, partner yes. up, allow people to, to do also, them. Yes. I, and I, also I help you flush it out, help you, um, you know, uh, like I was working on something. Oh, no, I was working on this grant. And so I, you know, I wrote what I could write on the grant because I do uh, grants and proposals for people. And so I, um, one day, one another uh, fr friend of mine, he's a professor at FAMU, Florida A&M University. So he said, Diane, because I, 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 I use Google Docs, so I added him to, as one of the editors. So she said, Diane, um, I worked on your, the grant. And I was like, really? And so your proposal. And so I said, okay. He kept telling me I worked on it, you know, pass it on uh, to uh, the person who could use it down as who is a nonprofit in Florida. It's look at, um, look at local farming and producing local food. When I looked at what he had added, it took it to a whole nother level. You know, his scope was different, mm -hmm. you know, because he's a professor, he understands, you know, that demographics of students and the community and we probably write grants all the time to get funding as a professor. And so mine was my perspective and his was, it, it made my vision even wider. And so, so I was thinking that sometimes uh, I need to go slower instead of trying to go fast. Um, and when you have business ideas, it's, like you said, it might not be the right time or uh, it might not be for us. It could be for someone else. Right. right. Exactly. So uh, we're right at the 40 minute mark, right? like 42 minutes. Um, so are there any other business ideas that you wanted to share? Any thoughts about business ideas to share or just ideas in general? Um, <laughs> I just thought about, I also have another business actually online right now. It's called Mom's List, which is a, a online director for any sustainable product event um, or pro product event or service. And I was very excited about Mom's List. Uh, Mom's is um, M-O-M, -M, 
mothering our mother earth and and i was and i i was i was new to sustainability space but i happened to go to a few conferences and they talked about sustainability and one of the things i realized with mom's list um that sustainability and recycling we figured we put our trash out we separate our trash we don't i highly do that even well and separate the plastics from the other that we have done our sustainability thing but sustainability is still very even though we need it so bad in this country it's still very small our sustainability space and so i think that Again, if I would have got other people involved with Moms List and got some more input, it might be more um, be better monetized. But it's out there, and I um, with businesses, I think that it takes time. Uh, it takes a lot of um, other people around it to help it to grow, almost like fertilizer. And also with business, to me, you have to keep retweaking it. And what? How else can I make this work? And so um, that's what I can say about business. I, I still like ideas. I still um, I like talking about business. I even like talking about the sales part because, like you said, most people don't like that part. The marketing part, uh, the PR part, uh, and also how to use other people's money to fund it instead of using your own and other venture capitalist money to fund it. So I think that uh, businesses, especially in this country with what you say, capitalism, um, it's a good way to create uh, a stable, uh, I I think you should have a job and have a business until it takes off to have a stable income and also have like a hobby or business that you do. And then once you, if it's making more in your business than it's your job, then I think you can make that transition but in the meantime, keep your day job. That's my <laughs> best advice for entrepreneurs today. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so as we wrap up this episode, doing this podcast for me is helping me with one of the ideas that I had. It's not the same, but it's similar. And the idea was uh, an idea called the Hey Mom Radio mm-hmm. Project where it could be young people that didn't have parents in their lives that were business oriented. And so I can remember when David was growing up, I would always know when his friends wanted to ask me one of those type of questions, they would say, Hey ma, right. (laughs) Even though I'm I'm not their ma, but they would say, Hey ma. And then it would come up. What do you think about if I interview for this job or Hey ma, let me tell you what's happening uh, on, on this job that I'm on. Hey ma, I'm trying to buy a car something like that. And I take them down. Okay, do this research and do that. It would be just great if there was a place where people could call in and say, Hey mom. And this could, I I get a Hey moms too. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So this, you know, this podcast can be that as we invite more people Mm -hmm. on, you know, for, for not only for them to drop their knowledge, but then for us to follow up on that, maybe with further information after they drop their knowledge or maybe even their questions. Right. So that, that this for me kind of helps with maybe making that idea come to fruition a little bit. Um, and then the last one that I really still want to do something with is one for my mother, where whenever I would go see her, it didn't matter. 
It doesn't matter when I went to see her. It would be the same exact thing. Other than either you've lost weight or you gained weight. After that, it would be, uh, she would say it the same way. She would say, Rita, where's your boyfriend? And then right after that, where's your lipstick? I'm not kidding. Where's your boyfriend? Where's your lipstick? And I would sit there and I would look at her and think, well, you know what? I wish that's what I had to worry about. I have to worry about keeping the lights on, keeping the car running, keeping my job, all of those things that you never had to worry about. You never had to have a job. That's what, in my mind, that's what I'd be. Uh, yeah, don't have my lipstick on, uh, working hard. And, you know, I'm not really focused on having a boyfriend right now, you know, just not focused on that. But here's what I figured out after she died. When she never asked me that again, there's a tie between the lipstick and the boyfriend, right? So the lipstick is when you're wearing your lipstick, that is sends messages to a man's mind, first of all, right? Okay. But, and that means that you really caring about how you look as a person, right? So you're attracting other people to you. And I thought, you know, she was so into cosmetics, so into makeup, so into jewelry, so into getting made up. I would love to be able to add to my list to come up with uh, where's your boyfriend, where's your <laughs> but lipstick? But guess lipstick? what? You got a granddaughter who likes cosmetics. I remember when she, <laughs> when she was little, she was she came up to Sharon's house and she came with her bag of fingernail polish and, you know, lipstick. And yes, I just, I just bought her a mannequin <laughs> hand so she can learn to braid hair and all that. Yeah. So maybe she's the one who's going to create the lipstick. Where's your boyfriend? Where's your lipstick? Yes. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so you can't get away from. That's why I said some things are innate, you know. Um, And so you can't, yes. even though you try to get away from them, that's who we are. You know, we have a million more business ideas. We, are, we will also start some more businesses. And it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's okay. It's in us. And like you, and then somebody who's yeah. listening to this, what we might have said could change, have will change their life, and and that's what we're supposed to do. Just drop the knowledge. That's what we're supposed to do, and the increase will come. Absolutely. So this concludes another episode of yes. Cousins Dropping Knowledge. <laughs> <laughs>